What a blessed opportunity we have this Sunday morning to assemble, to gather, to come to this place at this time. It really is a powerful anchor to the person, isn't it, to realize that on these occasions, anchored in the reality of every week, regardless what may, whatever may be going on in the lives of the world, you and I can come together and be reminded of those eternal truths, those things that never change, those realities that though the matters of man come and go, the fancies of man may in fact rise and fall. The anchoring of the Word of God never changes. In 1 Peter 1 verse 25, the word of the Lord endureth forever. I know today you and I would always wish to celebrate that reality. We do that today by reflecting on challenges connected to Thanksgiving. I know that the Thanksgiving season is one in which we currently are in the midst of it. Maybe you've already enjoyed some time with your family. Maybe those that you don't see as often as you might wish. Maybe others that you see rather infrequently and yet you were able to come together for a time of togetherness, perhaps enjoying a fine meal, perhaps a football game in the backyard, perhaps another opportunity just to be one another with conversation. But may I say that Thanksgiving is a topic that's often found in the Bible. You may notice on this introductory slide that's now before you, you and I know the fourth Thursday in November has now come and gone. It's that day every year that is set aside on our calendar for Thanksgiving. Perhaps there are times before it, there are times that follow it, but it's a time, you see, that we recognize by way of its name. To give thanks is a rather common theme in the Bible, both Old and New Testament. Today, why don't you and I reflect somewhat on a particular verse, only one, and we will, in fact, draw a few observations, not only concerning it, but, in fact, broaden that discussion a little bit in the following way. A few moments ago, it was read in our hearing from 1 Thessalonians 5. You might wish to revisit that particular passage. It's verse 18 that will encompass our attention this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Let me take just an opportunity and interject one other thought. Starting this coming Wednesday night, we're going to begin a study of the book of 1 Thessalonians. And so, if you in fact have not made that a common occurrence in your life, make plans to be with us Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. It's a time of genuine encouragement. It's a time in which we open the greatest of all books, and we not only are instructed out of it, but we, in fact, encourage each other. It'll help you get through the week. It'll make a great deal of difference in your life. We'd like to, in fact, put that before you. Make that a part of your life if it's not already so. Verse number 18 of chapter 5, you may notice that I mentioned giving of thanks. I wonder as you think about that rather short verse, what else is there to say about it? What might be some attributes of it that could not only encompass our attention, but really are a tremendous issue for our consideration? I've chosen to separate the sermon in the following way. Let's take basically every word or every pair of words, and let's not only think about what each one of them indicates, but let's do so in the following appreciation often using other verses in the Bible to offer commentary, 
to offer elaboration, to offer some discussion. The verse began like this, in everything. The Thessalonian congregation itself was battling some challenges. I suppose that's not at all that shocking to us, for probably every congregation of the Lord's people has its challenges to face. This congregation, as we shall see on Wednesday nights over the next several weeks, not only had a few of them, but they were rather notable in terms of doctrine. But here Paul, as he comes near the close of that letter, points out to them, in everything give thanks. That suggests, among other things, a prevailing attitude, a mentality first and foremost directed to the giving of thanks. That means that regardless of life circumstances, and let's face it, things could in fact be far worse than they are. You may have had some very severe things in your life. We all have known a few of them. But you and I are also aware of the fact that it could be worse. There could be other issues that come to bear. And let's face it, you and I might have been born in a place living in a particular arena of this world in which the knowledge of the Bible and the character of the truth of God might be a far harder thing to come by. You and I live in a place where the Bible can be so freely opened and its influence is so notable. One other thing about that slide might well be this. In Philippians 4 verse 12, Paul sets before the Philippian church and by way of inspiration you and me as well, the fact that not everything, of course, is cause for celebration. There are things that are painful and things that are hard and things that are not pleasant in any sense of the word. Paul even knew that. But he could always highlight the reality and the truth that there is a power greater than these things, that there is a reality resting behind them. None of us would say that when Israel was captured and taken off into Babylonian captivity, that wasn't a cause for celebration. But there was a reality God was behind it in the sense that that was a punishment for their sin and a brighter day was resting on the horizon there was something, you see, to which they could look forward. For you and me, in Ephesians 5, verse 20, Paul also instructed the Ephesian congregation about the fact that blessedness and thanksgiving go hand in hand. If you have been well blessed, if I have been well blessed, then we need to be thankful. I know that you and I can quickly affirm that many things have been highlighted to us and set before us in such a way that we truly have been blessed in many ways. Near the bottom of that slide, may I then say this. It was brought to our attention earlier today, and maybe it's time to highlight it again. Perhaps the most famous verse of 2 Corinthians 9, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. The greatest of all gifts has been sent. In essence, the reality of it has been brought and the benefits are available. The greatest of all gifts. Jesus the Christ is not only someone to be celebrated a time or two a year, but at all seasons, a consideration of thanksgiving. I would say that this time of year is one that should certainly bring that before us as well. I hope that among the other physical blessings that we now enjoy, and that we have reflected upon the last several days, we could again be supremely thankful 
for the church, for the Lord, for the influence of the Bible, for the reality that is ours to come to know the God of heaven. It is entirely true that one can enjoy walking through the wilderness and appreciating the God that made all of that. But you'll never learn about Jesus that way. And you'll never learn about the plan of salvation that way. And you'll never learn about heaven that way. But you and I have the grandest of books. Oh, how we should give thanks for it. It might well be as you close that slide with me. James 1.17 said that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. After that opening phrase, though, how about one word, give? In everything, give. The little four-letter word give is a rather powerful word, isn't it? It obviously has behind it the thought of making available to someone that which they perhaps don't deserve and that which they didn't necessarily ask for. In everything, give thanks. In the Greek text, the verb, in fact, rolls all of that into one. But isn't it true that it involves forethought and planning and preparation and effort? When you and I thus give this thanks that's now under discussion, doesn't it remind us of several examples in the Bible of those who gave thanks? Could I invite you to recall with me something you and I mentioned in the Bible class this morning in the auditorium? Jesus fed 5,000 men. And on another occasion, 4,000 men. That again doesn't count the women and children that were present. But isn't it still fascinating that before the distribution of that large amount, the Lord gave thanks. He paused to pray. I hope that you and I did that as well and that we do that regularly. It's a wonderful thing to dive into a great meal. We know that. It satisfies the flesh. It can be a time of great enjoyment. But may we first and foremost realize that there's a source of power that made it possible, that made it provided to you and me. Jesus set a great example there, didn't he? He prayed before he partook. Isn't it true that not only that, what about the scene in Acts 27? Paul was aboard a ship that was about to, in fact, suffer shipwreck. And yet, he paused to pray before they partook. May I say to you that that might have been a scene you would have thought, look, we better eat quickly because the ship may go down. Now, isn't it true that God had already told Paul that those aboard that ship would remain alive, but there was nothing said about the cargo? All that was said there in particular was there's going to be loss involved in it. But yet there still was at least a pause long enough in which they could enjoy and appreciate thanksgiving to God for the food they were about to participate in. When you and I think about then the food that we eat today, couldn't it point us to the Lord's Supper? We know that one of the fantastic elements of memorial that rests in the heart and the mind of a Christian is the very thing that the Lord Jesus Christ himself put upon us. This do in remembrance of me, he said. And every time we partake of it, we remember. In the vivid imagination that's ours, we reflect upon 
the scene in which it was instituted. But far more than that, we think about the nature of what it represents. His body and His blood and what they, in fact, endured. It might well be, as Jesus put that before us, it helps us to see that the giving of thanks should be a part of that which really is you and me. It ought to be regular. It ought to be a part of our happenstance each day. In Psalm 18, verse 49, as well as Psalm 30, verse 4, we're admonished to be those who give thanks to God for who He is. May I point out that some of those verses there highlight not only what He's given us, and that's great, but it's the fact of who He is. Do you and I thank Him for being the God who is merciful, loving, gracious, kind, compassionate, forgiving, and the one who knows the future and is able to guide you and me in a way that we can, in fact, bypass the shenanigans of the evil one? You see, we have so many things for which we can thank God just because of who He is. In closing that slide, could we not then say Psalm 79, 13 is maybe the one final one we'll notice where an emphasis is laid upon each of us to be mindful to ever give thanks to God. I hope we do that always. The verse continues onward, though. It's not just in everything give. It's in everything give thanks. Let's give a few moments of reflection on the word thanks. That word thanks, you see, highlights a rather powerful comprehension, a means of what it is to give thanks. How often do you hear someone say thank you? How often do you hear that typically in conversation or in interactions among individuals today? I know that you and I are thankful when it takes place. I hope that you and I are those who would wish to be a person like that. Those who are of a kind disposition and a spirit such that we appreciate when someone has done something for us. May we be quick to say, to say thank you ought not ever be done just to flatter. It ought not ever be done just to gain someone's attention. You and I know there were those in the New Testament era who it seems had that kind of an attitude. They wanted to be seen of others. They wanted to act in such a way that others would return the favor to them. Our approach ought to be more wholesome than that. It ought to be sounder than that. In fact, may I direct you to the First Thessalonian letter again. Would you note with me 1 Thessalonians 1, verse number 2? We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. At that point, as Paul began this correspondence to the Thessalonian church, he highlighted the fact we, though in a distant place we are, give thanks for you. And in your dedication to the Lord and the way it's worded there, Paul said this was done always. When you and I give thanks unto the God of heaven, do we thank Him for the Pippin Church of Christ? Do we express a wholesome thanks for not only this particular congregation and what it has done in the past, but what it is now and what it can be? That God will motivate us and provide us with initiative so that 
will be that bright and shining reflection of what he would have this congregation to be, to give thanks. It's rather interesting as you look to first to 2 Thessalonians 2.13, we have yet another reference to giving of thanks. This time it's worded like this. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath in the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. In this instance, Paul even moves to a higher consideration the features relative to giving of thanks. He pointed out to that congregation, specifically, they had been chosen to salvation. I hope you and I are thankful that God has showered forth, set forth the reality of truth, and that you and I have had the wisdom to obey it. And in so doing, that we have brought to ourselves the blessing. Because God has given it. It might well be in that connection. Isn't there a powerful scene in Revelation 7 verse 12? Where again we see this innumerable host gathered around the throne of God. And among the things they state is they are giving thanks. Can you imagine the thanksgiving offered to God when the great host gets to heaven? We thank thee, O Lord. For thy great goodness, for the sending of thy son, for the sacrifice he made for sins, and the fact we can be here now. You see, once we've made it to heaven, you realize then that the unfortunate group that are not there, those who have been disobedient, those who have chosen to turn their back upon the Lord, you realize then how tragic that is because it'll never change. As they give thanks in that Revelation 7 text, it's a great reminder. And you can almost feel your heart pump faster as you read about the kind of words they share. Two chapters earlier, isn't it true? Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and blessing and glory. One last thing about that slide then could be this. In the last chapter of the Hebrew letter, we are admonished that the fruit of our lips should be such that it's a constant presentation of thanksgiving in light of what Christ has done for us. Are you and I as thankful as we could be? I know that we are frequently in our collective prayers. We express to God thanksgiving for the church and thanksgiving for the particulars connected to so many things. I hope that you and I in our private prayers are also very thankful. Thankful for the things we've mentioned already today. Thankful even beyond that to the particulars of each of our lives individually. Husbands, are you thankful for your wife? Do you tell God that? Wives, are you thankful for your husbands? Do you, do you tell God that, the character of how you feel? Are you thankful for your children? Do you again make mention to God of their names and thank God for them? Are you thankful for the other very powerful and cherished elements of your life? I hope that we each feel that way because God has been good to us. Not only are those things stated in that verse, what about the next one? For this, the text says, 
is the will of God. The giving of thanks, the description you and I have considered to this point, now bring us to this little phrase, will of God. Paul then told the Thessalonians, it's God's will that you be like this. The giving of thanks is just not some accidental thing to include in prayer. God wants you to do that. And He insists that you do that. Now let's be quick to say, it's not that God needs it. He is great enough to where whether you and I thank Him or not, it's not going to change who He is, and it's not going to change the fact of what's wrong or right in His eyes. But it's good for us. If you and I lose the characteristic of being thankful, we so easily arrive at a point in life when we look beyond the grandness of the blessings right in front of us. We always want what then is not available. And that's a life of misery. It's a life of sadness. It's a life where you look far too much on the fact the glass is half empty rather than being half full. It's a life in which you miss so many things that are right in front of you. Paul could say in Philippians 4.13 how that he left behind those things that were and he pressed toward what is yet before him. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And that was the matter of greatest significance to him. And thus he recognized that what was behind was behind. You and I today can realize that the will of God leads us to a few of these comments that are now before you. Jesus in Luke 17 reminds us of how seriously God would look upon this as a proper course of action. Ten lepers came to Jesus. They appeared before Him. We also noticed in the Bible class this morning some of the features and the attributes of leprosy. But among other things, we notice this. Jesus had the power to heal those lepers. And He gave them instructions. You go and show yourself to the priest and take care of those matters required by the law. And on the way, they were healed. Can you imagine the overwhelming change in their life? Before, unclean, encumbered with leprosy. Now, clean and fully able to again rejoin the full access to society, to rejoin the full blessing connected with association of others. One of the things that were severely hampered and limited by lepers was their social interaction. Only one returned to say thank you. Jesus asked the question, Where are the nine? Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Only one returned to say thank you. I wonder about the world in which we live. Doesn't it seem on occasion that the attribute of being thankful is not as common as it once was? May that not be certainly something said of a Christian. For you and I should be those above all people on earth filled with thanksgiving mindful of the, not only the blessings of a physical way, but far more those of spiritual thrust. In Romans 1 verse 21, we have a reflective statement made about 
some of the issues connected to the Gentiles. Now, you and I know Paul often presented lists of sins of which they were guilty, and among those listed here, unthankful. Among the things that can be said of them, they are not thankful. No wonder that severity would lead them then in the verses that followed. Their reaction and their response to God was not as it ought to have been. They worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator. Notice, unthankful accompanied this issue of looking too much on these things of earth. Don't you know that that's a matter that can still be a greatly troubling issue to anybody today? You and I thus need to worship and serve the Creator. And in that way, to ever be ready, frequent, and powerful in the giving of thanks to Him. In 1 Timothy 4, verse number 4, there's another statement there made in which you notice that there are going to be times of challenge and difficulty in light of the church. Paul said, The Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter days some shall depart from the truth. Now, Paul prophesied there about a coming time from that day, it's long since happened now, when there was going to be a movement away from the truth. And some of the things that were going to be mentioned in light of that movement is going to involve thanksgiving. We're not going to be as thankful as they should for the matter of receiving what God has given. May you and I then be wise as we offer to God our thanksgiving, understanding He has been so mighty and one who has provided so much. I close that slide like this. In Philippians 4 verse 6, we notice that near the end of that Philippian letter, Paul challenged the brethren in that congregation of the long ago that they would be such that in thanksgiving they would let their requests be made known unto God. We have many requests, don't we? We pray for our own selves, and we should. We pray for our loved ones, and we should. We pray for the church, and we should. But among all those things for which we pray, let's make sure that we thank Him. Have you thanked God for His answer to your prayers? Sometimes that's easy, I suppose, to allow that to pass. As you and I think back upon it, in the matter of the moment, we pray in earnestness, and then God provides an answer. Perhaps it's a better one for which, than the one for which we prayed. But then after the matter has completed, do we express to Him our heartfelt thanks for providing the answer? I know that as you and I face the ongoing matters of challenge and difficulty, isn't it still true that we can be thankful that we have God that's always there? This is the will of God concerning Christ Jesus. You'll notice on this next slide, that is the next phrase, in Christ Jesus. In everything give thanks. And now it's highlighted by way of the channel through which that thanksgiving is offered. Notice some of the statements on that slide with me. That thanksgiving is offered through Christ. If you and I are not in Christ, we're missing everything. We are missing literally everything. There may be a few years of some partial enjoyment upon earth, but then it's over. 
eternity will not be enjoyable. It'll have nothing pleasant about it. The word misery does not do it justice. And yet, through Christ Jesus, you and I can have the proper vision and reality of understanding wherein we have ordered our life by the teaching of the Word of God. We noticed a moment ago that phrase, will of God. In Colossians 3.17, Paul to the Colossian congregation pointed out to them, again, the sweetness of how we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks unto God and the Father by Him. Thankful to God through Christ. Colossians 2.7 points out that we should abound in that thanksgiving. As often as we are reminded about the Christ. Isn't it true? He's the center of our life. Colossians 3 verses 1 to 4 state that in such plainness. He is our life. Today, if you're not in Christ, you're in no position to even contemplate offering thanksgiving to God because you can't offer it through Christ because you're not in Christ. Why would you not want to be? Don't love the things of this world more than you love the Lord. The things of this world will fade and deteriorate away, but yet connection to the Lord will be lasting. In 2 Peter 3.11, Peter asked this haunting question of those of his own day. Seeing then that all these things should be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? May you and I realize that in Christ Jesus we find not only the statement of the verses we've just noted so far, but we are reminded again of that greatest of all gifts, a life in which we can be freed from sin, forgiven, redeemed from it, and in so doing, we can live a life with all the promise and reward and blessing connected not only to the abundant life here, John 10, verse 10, but to the only life hereafter. It might well be in light of what Paul directed to those Thessalonian brethren. Doesn't it remind us of victory? Victory. I close that slide with 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57. Thanks be unto God for the victory you and I have in Jesus. That kind of a victory allows me to conclude our lesson like this. I know that the Thanksgiving season is one that rolls around each year on the calendar. But for the Christian, it's all the time. We're thankful, you see, for so many things, not only the physicalities of life, but those issues that transcend that. The issues connected to Jesus and His church and forgiveness and the hope of heaven. Today, if as you give thought to your life, if you're not a faithful Christian, may you allow Jesus to urge some very strong thoughts upon your heart. Don't leave this building in that condition. May we beg of you. May we sincerely beg of you. Because you see, life is too brief. And eternity's too long. You don't want to live here unthankful to the Lord, unthankful for that which He's done, and unthankful for His blood. Ephesians 1 verse 7 reminds us, you see, that we have forgiveness through His blood. Without that blood, there is no forgiveness. The plan of salvation is a rather amazing thing. 
here's a set of acts. And you might remember that Naaman was angry and wroth, filled with wrath. He didn't like it that he was told to go and wash in the Jordan River. But yet you and I know that that's what God said for him to do. He finally came to his senses, and he did it. And don't you know he was thankful he did? Today, if you find yourself apart from God, you don't have to stay in that condition. The devil is trying hard to get you to stay in that pew. He doesn't want you to walk down this aisle. He wants, above all else, you to stay right where you are because he's told you a lie that it'll be all right. Today's another Sunday. It's the 48th one of the year by my count. There'll be another one next Sunday and another one after that. Just stay where you are. But you know you're going to die at some point. It might be this afternoon. You may never live to see another sunrise. None of us could. Jesus the Christ might come back. We don't know. But what we do know is we'd better be ready. And if you're not ready right now, don't let the devil lie to you another time. Don't fall for his tricks. You can be made right today, and the Lord can make it so. If you need to become a Christian, believe on him. With all your heart, believe on him. He walked this planet, and he did so sinlessly. And he came here to tell us about heaven. And he came here to tell us about the church and to tell us what we need to do to serve him. Believe all of that. Repent of those terrible sins, those things in your life that are not what Jesus would have you to do and be. Make confession of his name, that you believe him to be the Son of God with all your heart. And then in a, the act of baptism, be submerged beneath the surface of some water. And in so doing, he'll wash your sins away. The power is not in the water. The power is in the blood that the water contacts. And today we could help you with that. If you have been a faithful Christian at some time, but as of today you're not, and you know it. But what's more, the Lord knows it. You can't fool him. You can't fool him. Why don't you do something about it today? If they're seen in your life in that way, be thankful for the second law of pardon. Again, it involves a belief. You still have to believe in the Lord and believe the nature of what He has presented. Believe that He still loves you. And He is pleading with you. He's begging you to come to your senses just like the prodigal son did. You need to make confession of those sins and repent of them. And if we can help you, won't you come while we stand and sing?